And that led us naturally to a mountain bike park. Telmark's 300 feet high of an old ski hill. Unlike some areas where the ski hill is on one side of the hill and it's just a plateau on the other, it's a pimple that sticks up in the air. So it's 300 feet of vertical all, all the way around, all the 360 degrees around this pimple that sticks up. And so there's a huge and a tremendous opportunity there to build. Welcome to Trail Effect. I am your host, Josh Blum. Trail Effect is a show that dives into the stories behind trails, the communities that embrace trails, and the people who rely on trails as a way of life. The goal of this show is to turn the stories you will hear from our guests into useful knowledge that can be applied to your community while providing some entertaining and inspirational content. Guests on Trail Effect include trail builders, board members, community leaders, volunteers, and regular people who really enjoy trails. If you are new to the Trail Effect podcast, check out our ever-expanding library of episodes. Episode 113 features Joe Vadaboncourt, otherwise known as Joe V, the guy behind trail development and strategic partnerships for the American Berkeybinder Foundation in Cable, Wisconsin. This conversation builds on the conversation with Bob Burns of the Trek Foundation found in episode 112. Joe covers all the details and provides some important history as to what's now known as Talmark Village, a year-round outdoor recreation facility in the making. I'd like to take a moment to thank all the listeners and guests who have taken the time to share the Trail Effect episodes on their social media accounts such as Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, along with tagging Trail Effect in their posts. This has helped a lot more listeners find the Trail Effect podcast. Please keep up all the sharing, commenting, and tagging of Trail Effect. I'd also like to thank all the listeners who have signed up to be supporters of Trail Effect through Patreon. These actions mean a lot to me. Now on to the Trail Effect podcast with Joe V and Talmark Village. Well, we'll kick this one off. Here we are today on Trail Effect. I have a bonus show here with Joe Vadaboncourt, otherwise known as Joe V, who formerly worked for a truck, but now he's he's gone on his own and he's actually working for the Berkey Foundation and specifically the mountain bike aspect or director of, mountain, of the mountain bike project under the Berkey Foundation, which is coined the Telmark Village. So how's it going today, Joe? Uh, today's an awesome day. It's not, uh, you and I were just talking about your Tuesday history. It's not a Tuesday, but it's uh, it's been a pretty good week here. So lots, lots going on. Yeah. Well, let's kind of get into your role with the Berkey Foundation and maybe more specifically for listeners that aren't familiar with what the Berkey Foundation is. Maybe they don't cross country ski or maybe yeah. they don't live in Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. You know, let's yeah, no kind of talk about that. Yeah, sure. So uh, Berkey is a shorthand for the American Berkebiner Ski Foundation. So uh, ABSF is the other shorthand for that organization. The ABSF uh, was started to manage the American Berkebiner Ski Race. Uh, that's a 52-kilometer cross-country ski race, point-to-point, makes it really unique in North America. There's not a lot of point-to-point. Uh, cross-country ski races. Um, it's grown to uh, by far the largest uh, cross-country ski race in North America, uh, rivaling the the two or three really big races around the world uh, that are either in Scandinavia or Europe somewhere. There's about 11,000 skiers that partake every year in the American Berka Minor. Uh, it's the normally uh, the last weekend of February every year. Goes from Cable, Wisconsin to downtown Hayward, Wisconsin, finishes on Main Street. Uh, 
we call it, and a lot of people refer to it as the Super Bowl of cross country skiing because it's 20,000 people on Main Street with cowbells, music playing, and screaming as 11,000 skiers finish uh, up Main Street. Uh, it's pretty exciting, really, really cool event. But the organization has grown and changed really, really significantly over the years. I mean, we're we're on our 49th uh, Berkabiner ski race this year, so approaching next year's 50th uh, anniversary. And over the years, uh, a lot has changed. Um, so, you know, the Berkabiner ski race was started by Tony Wise. Tony Wise owned the Telemark Lodge in Cable. And he did it as a promotional activity, you know, just to kind of build visibility for his uh, Alpine Ski Hill and Lodge that he had put up there. Uh, and out of that, it grew into to just a really awesome, amazing bucket list for a lot of people, cross-country ski race. But as I noted a moment ago, you know, Berkey's changed a lot for 49 years, and, and a lot of things have gone on as a separate organization was, was started to um, keep that race going as Tony had business problems and Telemark Lodge had, had business problems. And so the ABSF, uh, again, as it's known as a nonprofit, 501c3, started to manage the race. But over time, has grown into managing a whole bunch of different events. Uh, now the Berkey manages uh, 14 different events during the course of the year, all year long. Trail running, cross-country skiing, mountain bike races, gravel races, just a lot of things going on with the organization. My role, so getting back to your original question, Josh, uh, my role um, was the COO of the organization for a couple of years. You mentioned at the beginning that I formerly with Trek. When I left Trek five or six years ago, I went to work at the Berkey and uh, took that role of the COO there. Uh, and then a lot year ago, stepped down from that role to a part-time role managing the uh, Mount Telemark village mountain bike trail project and then that's kind of grown into driving a lot of the cycling activities for the organization so i help christy and kind of co-direct the um, epic bike fest which is a single track mountain bike race now combined on sunday with a with a gravel event uh, and then uh, help help drive and help push the fat bike berkey which is fat bike race uh, on the berkey ski trail so yeah that's a lot that's a lot of things and we're here more specifically to talk about the Telmark Village project because yeah. that's all about mountain biking. Yeah, yeah. Why don't you give a brief history of what Telmark Lodge was and the state it got to before really that'll bring us to why Telmark Village is important for the community. Sure. Yeah. So Telmark, as it was originally called, was the brainchild of Tony Wise. Uh, he was from the Hayward area. And he put up an alpine ski hill um, right after World War II, uh, built some of the first chairlifts, some of the first snowmaking systems um, on a ski hill somewhere, put up a lodge, and really kind of drove the Northwoods economy in the Hayward area through his um, Telmark uh, Mott Ski Hill and, and, and Lodge. And the lodge was an incredible place at, at one point, 200-plus uh, rooms huge uh, fireplace room in the main hall of the building, two different or maybe three different bars uh, on the premises, an indoor swimming pool, an outdoor swimming pool. He put on music events at, at a level at that time that, you know, just didn't happen in the upper Midwest, uh, you know, 
Frank Sinatra played there. Bonnie Raitt played there. I mean, the list just goes on and on about what happened with uh, Telemark uh, back in the day. And then, uh, you know, like a lot of places, uh, they kind of outgrow the original founder's ability to keep driving it. And and uh, Tony, unfortunately, had financial problems and, and went bankrupt. It was purchased out of bankruptcy multiple times after Tony. And, you know, it's that now for a good decade or so just collecting dust and the and the cables and the chairs long gone on the scale and it's just been an, a bit of an eyesore and a bit of a sore spot in the whole Northwoods mentality is like uh if telemark was just still going um i remember when i first moved there hiking the old ski hill to make some turns on a powder day just thinking god wouldn't it be awesome if the run if the lists are running so i didn't have to hike this to make five turns in the powder but you know, it, it failed and uh, unfortunately sat for a long time. And, you know, what's really interesting is that nostalgia. When you when you talk to people that are from the area and they remember when Telmark was operating, everybody's got a story. If you find somebody that lived in Cable Hayward area for the last 25 years, they'll tell you, oh, yeah, my kids worked at Telemark and we had ski passes and I taught ski lessons and it just goes on and on and on like that. And so that has amazing history and everybody has a, a real soft spot in their heart for Telemark. And I think at the beginning, I, I noted, you know, Tony Wise also started the American Berkabiner ski race. And so when, when this thing, you know, through the multiple bankruptcies, there was always the thought in a lot of people's heads that, you know, why doesn't the Berkey take over Telemark? Well, at one point, it was, you know, multiple millions of dollars that were what was well beyond the Berkey's reach to, to do that. But after something sits for a long enough time, it, the value just keeps coming down and finally got to a point that the Berkey could say, OK, we, we're going to go acquire this property, rehab as much of it as we can and make something of it. Uh, well, the, the lodge had sat empty for more than a decade and there were there were numerous animals and a lot of scary things living inside that that old lodge building uh and so it just didn't make sense to do anything with it other than tear it down and so we bought the property tore the lodge down and got started with what our real plan was and is and that's an outdoor recreation center you know we started life the berkey started life as a cross-country ski organization so that's our first effort is reviving a bunch of the cross-country ski trails that are on the property uh, it was about a 750-acre piece of property, much of which was covered with old cross-country ski trails. So we revived uh, a bunch of that. This summer, we put up a five-kilometer uh, roller ski loop, and then it, are working on expanding uh, our snowmaking to more and more of that cross-country trail network that's right around the old lodge uh, building there. Um, that's our history, you know, so that was all made perfect sense. Um, but during the course of this, Ben and I had multiple conversations about wouldn't it be great to turn this not just into a cross country ski destination, which is, which it is and, and will continue to be, but to turn it into something year round. And so we started, what is that to be year round? Well, to be year round, you're going to need park facilities. You're going to need lodging facilities for people. Uh, you're going to need other activities that they can do. And that led us naturally to a mountain bike park. Telmark's 300 feet high of an old ski hill. Unlike some areas where the ski hill is on one side of the hill and it's just a plateau on the other, 
it's a pimple that sticks up in the air. So it's 300 feet of vertical all, all the way around, all, you know, 360 degrees around this pimple that sticks up. And so there's a huge and a tremendous opportunity there to build some modern cross country or modern cross country to almost like Western Enduro trails and the whole mix in between there. So that kind of became, well, that, you know, that should be an asset that, that we're chasing that now. This was way back in, way back, right? This, this first conversations were, you know, 2018, 2019, kind of, kind of right in that range. We got board approval to have mountain bike park as part of the overall project in, in, uh, end of 2019, 2020 range, right in that area. Uh, and we started working on it. What I would say is, uh, oh, I think 2019-ish, Aaron Rogers was in town for a couple of days. And he and I spent a couple of days hiking around on the hill, just talking about where trails could go, what kind of trails would, could go off of this side. You know, some beginner trails could go off of this side. Some technical stuff could go off of this side, et cetera. And then, you know, once the board gave us approval in, in 2020, I engaged Aaron at Rock Solid to to help me put an actual plan together. Uh, and so we so we spent some time on the hill. Again, we spent some time planning. Uh, and he created a full planning document for me as best he could without actually marking trails uh, on the ground. And I've had that in my hand since 2020, just kind of walking around talking to people about, you know, this this is what we could build, man. This this sure would be fun. And getting input from others and uh, in the community and others in the mountain bike world, you know exactly what could we build on this hill. Yeah, so that's that's a lot of history, and it's that's me talking and not pausing for way too long, isn't it? Well, you just illustrated a point that I continually bring up through this podcast, which is the power of a plan. You had a plan that you showed to people, and now you've actually—I mean, we're going to get to this in a little bit—but phase one of this has already been built. And so that plan, I believe, was probably a huge catalyst for you to actually have conversations with funders and donors. You know, there, there's a thing that Ben and I, Ben Pop, you know, the executive director at the ABSF that he and I both are fond of saying is that, you know, sometimes you got to spend some money to, to earn some money. You know, you can you can have a plan. I mean, you can you could take a piece of paper and just draw some squiggly lines on it and say, OK, they, here's my plan. You're far better off to dig into your bank account a little bit and, and spend some money to create a real plan. So, you know, I, Rock Solid didn't come and create a plan for me for free. They helped me with it and we worked together on it, but there was an invoice uh, at the end of that for that plan, but it's proved invaluable. I mean, it, it, even though it's, it's effectively professionally done squiggly lines on a map <laughs> instead of me drawing squiggly lines on a map, because nobody can actually like go out to the, to the property and start building based on that. There's another step necessary after that. But that plan, I mean, it just speaks having a plan. When you sit down with somebody and say, I'm going to build this, this place and here's what I think it's going to be at the end. And here's who's get, who it's for. And here's where all the customers for it or, or participants or guests for it are going to come from. When you can lay a plan in front of somebody and say, here's the trails. Here's how much I believe they're going to cost to, to build. Here's a builder that could build them and their, some of their experience. Here's examples of this type of trail or this type of mountain bike park somewhere else. That goes a lot farther than just saying, trust me, I'm, I'm a nice guy and I like mountain bikes and I'm going to build something really cool. So I'm with you on that. Well, and I don't, you obviously don't need to dis disclose numbers, but I would 
venture to guess that the cost, the initial cost of your concept plan, we'll call it a concept plan because like you said, there's a there's an actual plan that goes in after the fact, is a very small percentage of what the overall end project will end up being. And so it's Absolutely. a very low investment in terms of what the value it provides at the end. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it's a, I mean, I'm not, I'm not afraid to share numbers, Josh. Um, the, the whole project is about a million dollar project to, to put on all the trails. Uh, and it's about, was about $10,000 for that initial concept plan, you know? So yeah, $10,000 and you just say that it's a, that's a big amount, but in relation to the overall project and helping you go raise a million dollars somewhere to build that project, it's a pretty small amount. That's 1%, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just to clarify that hard. number. Math is hard, I know. I know, <laughs> so. math is hard, I, I and I even work- How many zeros? With a bunch yeah. of engineers and do engineering. Right, right. Well, let's talk about, you know, let's talk about that, how this plan is being put into place because, you know, before this show comes out, there'll be a show that comes out with Bob Burns who, you know, he's, he's a big key player in advocacy for Trek and the branding on this, if you look at the Telmark Village website under the Berkey Foundation, is yeah. Trek Trails. And right, so right. there's a big component there. You know, I should probably back up and give a tiny bit more history, if you will. For sure. The area, Hayward Cable area, is home to a really awesome trail system called Canva. It's, you know, 100-ish miles of, of single track. Uh, it's a very backcountry experience, uh, but it's pretty, it's pretty unique uh, in the upper Midwest. What we lack in the area, frankly, is a more modern aspect to, to mountain bike trails. Um, we don't have a lot of gravity within that. It's an awkward way to say it, isn't it? But we don't have a lot of vertical uh, within that Canva system. It's a lot of pedally cross-country trails. Super fun, really awesome, not slamming those trails in any way. It's just one facet of mountain biking, and, and we've kind of lacked uh, additional facet. You know, there's a couple of us. Uh, my friend TJ and I, in particular, have scraped out some really kind of raw gravity stuff that we go and play with play on at telemark and we did this years before the berkey bought it a little rogue for sure but you know kind of the owners were turning a blind eye to it and not really trying to stop us but it just highlighted how much fun adding some vertical to that canvas system was going to be if we could ever make it happen. That's a little bit of the history about how did I get here and how, to, how am I so passionate about it? Because we've actually played around with it, a couple of us in the community and, and made our own sort of like raw gravity trails uh, on the hill. Um, call one of us and we're happy to take you out there and show you how that was fun. So fast forward, I'm 2020, I've got this plan. Um, I'm starting to talk to people, either individual donors or found trail foundations. And Josh, you already mentioned Trek has a, a an initiative to invest in local trails all over the country. They're, they've seen it as part of their mission is to not only sell somebody a really nice bike, but also try and give them a place to to ride that bike. And they have a they have a whole process. You know, go to the Trail Foundation website, and they have a whole process about how to approach them for some support on a, on a project, uh, which we did. Uh, we worked on that for about a year this past year, let's say with Bob Burns, who's the, um, advocacy manager there to make the project or I'm sorry, make the, the, their process work for the project that, that we had in, in mind and, and make it see if it made sense for, for them to, to make an investment. They did. 
made a decision that this does fit their criteria for for what they're after. They want it to be a community asset. We're not charging for access to the trails. You can just ride out there. You know, if we run a shuttle or or something along those lines, there would be a charge for that. But if you want to go ride the trails on your own, there's there's no charge for that. And then it'd be associated with some community development efforts as well. So Berkey has an initiative called Berkey One. It's an investment in youth, in underprivileged youth in, in our area to get them into outdoor activities. Uh, and so this will be a, an asset that'll uh, be a piece of that. It's also going to be a, a training ground already this summer for all the local NICA teams. So there are two of those uh, local and they they're out there weekly um, using the property and the and the trails as as a training facility. You at the beginning of this, Josh said, "Well, it sounds like you guys have already run a uh, a Nike race." That kind of kickstarted a lot of this and pushed it into to uh, an accelerated mode. You know, we had a full plan that Aaron Rogers and Rock Solid helped me put together. We had a full plan. Um, which was about 17 miles of, of trail. And we were chopping that around. The folks at Wisconsin NICA learned about that and, and inquired, well, when would some of it be ready to, to run a race on? Well, again, back to Ben, Pop and I being a little bit of, we'll make that happen. Long before we had any money in our hands or anybody lined up to build trails, we said, let's do it. We'll, we'll, we'll run a race. We'll look, provide property and trails for you to run a race already this past fall. Oh, and that was uh, roughly at the beginning of the summer when we made that commitment. We had no idea how we we're going to make that happen or how we we're going to build those trails. But we reached out to Canva, who also had a, a, a goal of bringing NICA back to the area. And together, we figured out a way that we could put in two to three miles of single track in that period of time, combined with a bunch of the ski trails that would suffice for NICA to run their their first kind of up north race in quite some time. They were pretty happy with it, so much so that we signed a long-term agreement with them to continue to to run a NICA uh, event on the property well into the future. And we're going to continue to invest in the trails that they can use. But that that kind of kicked us into gear. That became phase one. It really wasn't laid out in Aaron in the plan with Rock Solid to be phase one being a NICA loop. But because we needed it soon, it became the the, the pieces to, that we built first and called phase one. Yeah. So that's kind of how we got there to, to that. And you have, if, and, and I'm pulling this from my brain, from what I've seen on social media, you've actually had Rock Solid and... If I saw it correctly, Traction Trail Works both building there so far. Uh, Is that no, right or wrong? The Traction Trail Works built those first two loops that we used for the for the NICA race. Got it. Got it. Now I think they brought in some subs because we were we were uh, kind of pressed for time, and so we needed more more crews there to get it get done. That came together really fast. Rock Solid was not available um, to to build it last summer. Traction Trail Works stepped up. Um, I've known Chad uh, Landowski for a long time. So they stepped up, also found some subs that could work with them and, and got us to, you know, roughly, about, it was about two and a quarter miles in time for the NICA race and then finished up another mile or so, mile and a half actually, after uh, after the NICA race. Uh, right now, when we kick the doors open in the springtime, we'll be just under four miles of single track. It's two loops. A green loop and a blue loop and a stacked orientation from the Berkey start area. And that'll, that'll be 
available to ride. You can also link from that to the Canvas system. So you could park there, ride those loops, and also get out to the Canvas system or the other way around. And those will be available already when we kick the doors open uh, in the springtime once the snow is gone. Then the plan is the rest of the 17 miles. So I mentioned that, you know, a little under four miles. So there's another 13 or so miles to be built. That's divided into a three-phase plan. The phase two, which will be built this summer, probably starting in July. There'll probably be crews started there in June, but the real construction would start in in July. Uh, That's about 5.7, 5.8 miles. It'll go from those loops that we called phase one last year over to the mountain to get up on top of the mountain. And then three awesome gravity trails coming down the front side of the mountain, a green trail, a blue trail and a black trail, just so we have enough variety that we can point over there and say that that's what the the hill is going to be once we get all of this built. And so you could either start on the, the hillside, there'll be a way up on that side, or start on the the stack loops that we built last year, or start from somewhere on the canvas system and get to those uh, gravity fed trails down down the front side. They're going to be legit trails. As I mentioned, there's 300 feet of vertical there. A green trail is a green trail. The, the rollers or the jumps are really small. The berms are, are enough to keep you in, but not enough to scare you. Intermediate trails step up from there. And the black trail is going to be has some legit black tech on it and, and maybe a couple of legit black step up, step down type jumps. You know, we'll see how that goes. What about uh, Joe and TJ's rogue trails? <laughs> <laughs> well, we hope that Joe and TJ's rogue trails will grow into some black and double black techie stuff um, that is sustainable. You know, the problem with two guys building it with a chainsaw and, and a rake is um, they're oftentimes what we can build with a chainsaw and a rake, and they're not really sustainable for a whole bunch of people to go down. But we, but we think there are, no, we think, sorry, we all agree there are a lot of uh, pieces of terrain on the east side of the hill and the south side of the hill that are going to make for some awesome, hecky, steep. There's no rock slab. You know, we wish we had the rock slab that North Shore has maybe, but we can we can manufacture some pretty cool stuff uh, in there with the pitch that we have. So, and I've, I'm sure you've thought of this, but do you foresee a future? We'll call it the Telmark Enduro. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, you know, I started the conversation saying that the Berkey is an event organization, and you know, we, we put on 14 different events. Well, that says there's still quite a few weekends left in the year to do some. Other events. We've got a pretty big gap in the summer, really, if you think about it, with the Epic in in June and the Trail Run in September. Not much going on at at Telemark in between there. So there's there's quite an opportunity for us to run some events out there. And no question, you know what what our part of the world needs is is some enduro events. You know, we've we've got some. I mean, you go North Shore, there's some. Go to to the UP, there are some. But you get down into Wisconsin, there's really not uh, that that kind of event. But we'll have the train. Maybe not quite have the train. We'll have the train for a fun local enduro uh, already in the fall this coming. But by next fall, we should have uh, legit terrain and enough enough of it to run a, a pretty fun enduro, pretty cool enduro. So we're looking forward to that. Absolutely. You know, there's, I mean, you got Joe and TJ, right? So if you say, who are the two guys, what are the 
what are the events that the two guys that are kind of at the core of this would really dig? Well, you just described it. So yeah, yeah. Exactly. And I mean, we all know Enduro is obviously still growing and it's the way I think a lot of people ride their mountain bike anyways, these days is. Yeah. Yeah. So we've talked about the trails. What other stuff do we have coming in here? Cause there's also amenities that will be available as well. Yeah, no doubt. So kind of go back to that stair step history, you know, Berkey buys Telmark, tears down the lodge, replants all the grass, Revive some cross-country ski trails, uh, build the roller ski loop, start the mountain bike trail project. Alongside that, we've been planning and working with architects and working with builders and, and other designers to, to put up a new lodge. Now, the lodge that we're going to build, we're, we call the base camp. Uh, it's not a lodge that you, that you stay at. I'll get to that in a minute. Our lodge is, is sort of your base camp to start your adventure. You know, whether you're skiing, you're riding your mountain bike, you're hiking on the trails roller skiing, whatever, you kind of need a base camp to get started from. It's a, a large building that has a big open space in it, fireplace, windows facing the hill. But we're also working with some outside entities to come into that property. We'll have a, a stop renting uh, bikes and skis, as well as running a tap room. We've worked with the local, uh, with Backroads Coffee uh, on, on uh, putting a coffee shop in and then w- along with this association w- with trek trails are going to even going to be called the trek trails at mount telemark village the trek retail group is is exploring putting in in the facility their retail location where their intention is to rent and, and demo bikes and so there's going to be quite a few amenities if you've been out there there's the old towers from the from the uh, telemark lodge we left up that's intended to turn into a climbing wall. There's going to be a huge out, outdoor deck that'll face out onto the bike park or the roller ski trails or the cross-country ski trails, depending on which season. You're going to be able to start your bike ride, have a beer afterwards, sit on the deck, watch your kids on the pump track, all, all down, down that. So that's what, that's what we're starting. We're going to break ground on that this coming summer. As I, as I said, we've been working with architects. We've got a builder lined up. We've applied building plans, uh, et cetera. Uh, and we're planning to break ground uh, this summer. But we've also leased some property on Telemark to uh, a local business that is building a really cool kind of outdoor-focused hotel lodge space. They're calling it the the Base Camp Lodge at Mount Telemark. I think they're going to be ready to, to rent spaces to people already this coming summer. If you get over there now, you'll see, you know, the shell of the building is up and they're in there working on it. Kind of common outdoor space, common bike and ski room to store and work on your your bikes or skis. All the rooms face a common outdoor space, not like the normal hotel where you pull up right to the front of the room. There's going to be a cool outdoor green space there with fire pit and picnic tables and just an awesome, cool spot to uh, start your outdoor adventure. They'll be up and running this, you know, this summer there's a bunch of stuff going on there yeah it's it's gonna have everything and there's a lot and for those that aren't familiar there is there is also other available locations in terms of lodging airbnb style you know there's multiple Mm -hmm. resorts other resorts in the region i mean that place is a hot spot for tourism yeah Yeah. it's pretty much your whole economy up there isn't it it's pretty much a hundred it's not a hundred percent it never is but right it's 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 70 plus percent of the, of the economy, local economy is tourism based, you know, 
yeah, sure, at the restaurant, but guess who's going to the restaurant? So I started off with the, the, you know, the top of the story I mentioned, freely shared that it's roughly a million dollar uh, mountain bike trail project. Really, really excited. And I know you've already put a podcast together with uh, the Trek Trail Foundation, and they're going to talk about it as well. But we're really excited that they stepped in, saw the value in this project, so much so that they're contributing a significant portion of, of the money to the extent that we're going to name the trails, the uh, uh, truck trails at Mount Telmark Village. But, you know, we've, we've had increased interest from a lot of different people out there about making contributions. So some people individually have stepped up and they don't want to be mentioned, but, you know, they've, they've put money into the, to the bank account to, to build the trails. And then uh, the One Track Mind Trail Foundation out of, out of Minneapolis is also stepping in in a, in a big way to help uh, partner and uh, complete the trail. I wouldn't say that I've got the full million dollars committed in my hand, but enough that I'm feeling really bullish that we're we're just putting the planners on the ground this this summer and getting all the trails marked out, getting phase two completely built this summer, and then straight away going into booking phase three and phase four builders out for the rest of it. So not it's going to go from that original concept plan of Aaron Rodgers and I walking around in the woods to uh, a real plan that in the next two to three summers will, will be a reality. So, Yeah. And that again, illustrates the power of, of the plan that you had in your hand to, to show yeah, to all yeah. the people that you wanted to show it to you. Yesterday, I'm going to jump, jump to a different topic, sort of rela- and related, obviously, but you know, the big topic everybody's always asking these days is like, you know, what, what about e-bikes? E-bikes are the, are a really significant piece of mountain bike future if you haven't ridden one you should give one a try it might not change your mind if you like it or don't like it one way or the other but they're they're a thing and they're here to stay it's interesting i saw some interesting industry figures very recently and i think if you draw sort of an arbitrary line at about seven thousand dollars and above you're getting pretty darn close to 50 percent of the sales are are e-bike mountain bike now you know once there's that kind of groundswell, they're going to be pretty much everywhere. So we're walking into this thing. We're building a brand new destination. That's what's happening in the world around us is there's a lot of e-bikes. This place is going to accommodate e-bikes from the start. And what I mean by accommodate e-bikes from the start is you're generally going to be able to go, if it's not just gravity fed, you're probably going to be able to go faster. Uh, on an e-bike than on than on a standard muscle bike. So the trails are going to be built for that. They're going to be all one-way trails. They're all going to be built for the speed that you would go either on when you're gravity or when you're pedal assist. Uh, and so they're going to they're going to be a comp designed and built to accommodate that. But they'll also accommodate a muscle bike or an acoustic bike, whatever we want to call them these days. You know that because all that really means is you probably can go up a more direct pitch on an e-bike than you want to on your non-e-bike. And so there's going to be both routes. You can, you know, if you want a meandering way to the top, that's going to be provided. If you want a more direct way, because you're here to make as many laps as possible on your e-bike, that we're going to provide that uh, as well. With, uh, you know, the, the shops that we're planning down to have at the lodge that are renting and demoing e-bikes, there's probably also going to be a, a place that you can sit down and have a cup of coffee and charge your bike. So if your charge is running low, uh, there might be a battery exchange program that we're going to 
work with them to put in place if you have the the right system you know that we could help you exchange a battery and if you show up on your on your muscle bike you do two laps and say i'm beat i want to try an e-bike we're going to have you know, have some sources available for you to, to rent one or demo one there and give it a try. So that, that's our, our thought around it is that, you know, we're, we see it as part of the future and you, you can't build for just one or the other. You know, one of the great things about, about an e-bike is you don't need a lift now to get yourself up the hill. You know, like lifts are fun and everything. And if you've already made the investment because it's an alpine hill, great, use the lift, but it's not a great investment for a mountain bike park in most cases. And an e-bike gets you up there just as easily, just as fast. I was riding locally, Joshua told me I'm, I'm in Colorado right now. I was riding locally recently in, at a place here and it's got a really steep climb to get up to some couple awesome descents. And I go on my muscle bike and I do two laps and I'm pretty toasted. And meanwhile, the guys on the, on the e-bikes are going, you know, two to one laps on, on mine, having more fun in the same amount of time because they're getting four descents where I'm getting two and they're riding up next to each other's gabbing, you know, like, and they're not gassed, whereas I'm gassed and they're passing me. <laughs> so, and they're still getting their workout too. You know, it's not, yeah, it's not a free yeah. ride. No, it's not, it's not a free ride. It's, um, you know, if I, if I'm, if I implied that it is a free ride, it's not, it, it is, it's just, um, you know, it's, it's easier, frankly, than, than not being e-bike, but it's still not free. Yeah. No, you didn't, you didn't imply it at all. I just want to make sure that the listener wasn't getting that because sometimes they just think it's implied when you hear e-bike. Yeah. 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 I mean, frankly, I also ride an off-road motorcycle. Those aren't free either, but people think they are, but you know, so, uh, you're still putting a lot of effort in to make that thing go down the, down the trail. There's a lot of muscle use on motorcycles. There's a reason why motocross and supercross athletes are some of the fittest athletes on the planet they they are and i and i wouldn't pretend that i can ride like those guys so i'm not I'm not fit like that but yeah well joe i don't know if there's anything we've we've missed we you know we kind of had a pre-call yesterday and talked about you know what we're going to talk about as far as i do want to back up a little bit though you know because you you, t- you started talking about e-bikes and one of the things that i am really happy to see in our world of trails is that Places like Telmark Village or Trek Trails at, at Telmark Village do have the e-bike in mind because you're seeing a lot more gravity parks pop up in places that wouldn't you would have never seen a gravity park at before mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. of e-bikes and and because of the access they provide and and, and yeah they're the bikes are, or the parks I'm referring to are are more of the pay to play type of model you know right. but but still you know I mean if you're not at a ski hill like you d- described with a chairlift already. You know, who's to say you couldn't put a bike park in, in, you know, North Georgia, like Jared's place or. Or in Northern Wisconsin. Or in Northern Wisconsin. 300 foot hill, right. Yeah. yeah. Or wherever in the, in the world. Right. 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 Yeah. I, I think it's, um, you know, I mean, everybody can make their own decision on this. Uh, and nobody's forcing anybody to ride one or the other. So sure, there's probably going to be a balance of bikes available in, in, at a bike shop in the future. You know, like if you walk in today and there's 10 muscle bikes and two e-bikes and someday it might be five and five or something like that, but you're still going to have the choice. In other words, if you don't want to do the e-bike, don't. You can keep riding a muscle bike. If you want to do one, boat, one of each, you can do that, that as well. I think it all comes down to what, where you're riding and, and what's the terrain you have, you know? Do you really need an e-bike on a cross-country loop that has, you know, a total of 150 feet of vertical difference from start to finish? Probably not. 
that doesn't mean that somebody isn't going to enjoy it and have a, have a great time with it. I think the key is making sure that the trails are built to accommodate them and, um, you know, making sure that people know where they're allowed and where they're, and if they're not allowed, where they're not allowed. So I think that's, that's a, the rider's responsibility, the shop's responsibility and the trail stewards and trail uh, owners responsibility to, to help people out with all those. So for sure. And, and to be, I'm going to say, be kind to one another because there's, you know, there's obviously, it seems like there's infighting every now and then. Right. And <laughs> the reality is we're all here for the same reason. We're all here for to sure. have fun yeah. or get a workout or whatever your reason is for riding a muscle bike or an, or an e-bike or acoustic bike or however you want to. The muscle bike thing was right. new to me as of like, I think it was in October when I did the the interview with Kurt Gensheimer out of Reno and he was the first person to use the term muscle bike. And I just started laughing because it was, yeah. it was pretty funny. This summer, it was, this past summer was first for me as well. Um, I was having a coffee with a friend of mine, Andrew Kemp from Shimano and, and we were having a coffee somewhere at a coffee shop here in town. And he said, yeah, you riding your muscle bike still or something like that. And I'm like, I just, same thing, just busted out laughing. It's like, that's perfect. It's the perfect terminology for it. So it is. Yeah. It is. Well, Joe, do you have anything awesome. you want to close with in terms of like any Joe Vadavancour words of wisdom or advice? Or <laughs> well, life lessons? Life lessons is, is um, if you're not riding your mountain bike three days a week, you're probably missing out on, on something in, in life. But uh, beyond, beyond that, so let's go back to the, to the project. So the, I mentioned, you know, it's a million dollar project where most of the money raised, full plan moving, moving forward. Um, but there's plenty of opportunity for people to get involved. Still, there will always be amenities we'll want to add to the trail. There are going to be plenty of volunteer efforts uh, necessary to to not only build them but maintain them and, and and keep them running and keep them riding great. And then you know, as as the Berkey grows and the organization changes, there's going to be more and more things going on uh, with those mountain bike trails. So, looking forward to having any listener out there come up and uh, give them give them a go. And then if you'd like to get involved in some way, you can always reach out to me and, and I, you know, I can help you out with that in some, in some way. Yeah. And Wisconsin's future of mountain bike access is sure looking bright these days, isn't it? Man, it's amazing. Gosh, you know, I think you and I probably would have talked, you know, four or five years ago and said, oh God, what, where are we sitting compared to our neighbors? And, um, you know, if you look out, it's not a lot different today than it was four or five years ago, but I think, you know, if you fast forward a few years, it's pretty significantly changing. Yeah. The, the, the plans and the approval for plans, that landscape has changed, which means like you just said, in four or five years, the landscape will be different in terms of what we're actually physically using in the woods. Right. Yeah. Super exciting. You know, I mean, I'm splitting my time right now between Colorado and, and, uh, Wisconsin and everywhere I go in between there, it's not uncommon for this is the conversation that, yeah, the access around here is changing and improving significantly. So I'm happy to, happy to say that, uh, we're excited that we're kind of at the core of, of seeing that change uh, in Wisconsin. So, well, Joe, as always, it's a pleasure. Yeah. Good to see you. Good to talk to you. Um, Hope to see you on the trail soon. Oh, you will. Thank you for listening. Links for the various topics discussed on the show can be found in the show notes. Next week will be a do not miss conversation with Greg Williams of the Sierra Beats Trail Stewardship and the Downeyville Classic. If you like what you've heard, please take the time to share these shows with others. Sharing these shows will help create awareness of both the guests who have taken the time to be on the show and the podcast series itself. Also, if you're new to the Trail Effect podcast, check out our ever-expanding library of episodes. 
please don't forget to leave a rating interview as this is one of the best ways to show your support for the Trail Effect podcast. I'd also like to thank all of the listeners and guests who have signed up to be supporters of Trail Effect through Patreon. These actions mean a lot to me. With that, the value for value concept is something that has caught my attention. If you find value in the Trail Effect podcast, you now have a way to provide value for that value via Patreon for Trail Effect. Also check out our new website, www.traileffectpodcast.com with effect spelled E-A-F-F-E-C-T. This podcast has been edited and produced by Evolution Trail Services. Thank you again for listening.